Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by Capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Jason Yoon, welcome to the Support Automation Show. Love it. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for inviting me over. Absolutely. Where does this podcast find you? Uh, from very sunny and warm Seattle, Washington. Ah, I'm in very snowy, dreary St. Louis, Missouri right now. We're like halfway through what should be a 12-inch dump of snow. So got a nice like winter vibe here. It's funny, my Instacart days, like just because you guys get so used to all the various markets across the country, like when I hear crazy winter storm, I'm like, great. And then I'm thinking internally, okay, how many orders is that? What are they doing? What's the impact? Just because it's so ingrained into me. Yeah, so yeah, you've got a interesting background and have recently founded a, a startup of your own, Relay. Just to get us started, Share some of your background and what led to, A, your career in support community operations, and then how that ties into Relay, the mission of Relay, and what you all are trying to do. So it's funny. When anyone, anyone actually looks at my LinkedIn, they're like, what is your background? Because it doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, I know. I'm such, I'm so surprised I'm doing what I'm doing now. I didn't want to do this. I mean, if you huh. talk to me about saying, hey, Jason, you're going to do customer support. You're going to be working and creating all these customer experiences. I would have just laughed at you just because I was so focused on being that stereotypical doctor. I was a biochemist. I was a clinical and bedside researcher. And I discovered that here I am doing some really amazing things, getting published and learning about a lot of amazing things about how the body works. And I'm the only one smiling in the research buildings. I'm the only one smiling in my clinic. Like I'm the only one who's just really happy about the social interactions. And I got to the point where I was like, wait a minute, do I really want to spend decades of my life trying to make things better? Because medicine is mm. so slow. Health is slow. And the answer was no. I, I really want something that actually was moving all the time. And that actually transitioned me into support. And I think the connection to both of them is about that innate need to want to help. But I think when we go away from health and going towards support, just like the body has complications, well, so does a tech stack. So do processes and cross-functional things. And so I got really lucky uh, going into support. And what my focus there was about was how do I make people feel really comfortable and really trust these brand new products they've never heard about before. No, I talk about Instacart. Yeah, I used it last week. I could talk about Lyft. They're like, yeah, that's get to work. But 10 years ago, that was something where people were like, that is scary. I don't want to go into a car with a stranger. I don't want someone to touch my groceries. Uh, I actually spent some time at Cruise Automation. So my job was to figure out, how do I make you comfortable going to a self-driving car for ride sharing? Uh, and then also took a small break as an executive to actually work on an on-demand healthcare company as well. And hmm. so really all these pieces built to the part of for customer experience, you know, under the support umbrella, what do I do to make sure that you can trust me? trust my team, trust this product to make sure that you're a part of this community. And going through all those challenges, I got to the point in my curls, I always think about scalability. Like what makes me happy is actually helping people in scale. So being in a single company is great, but I want to do a bigger impact. And that's mm -hmm. actually what kind of inspired me to want to do support in the sense of what can I do on a SaaS product level to really make sure that I can help companies in scale really improve on both their team engagement and productivity. And so that's just the beauty of Relay. Our focus is actually helping teams 
improve their workflows by automating how they communicate to their teams and employees about what's going on. Uh, just because I think right now we have these amazing SaaS products that are so consumer facing, great for customers. But when we start looking behind the curtain, being like, what about your support teams? The answer is we don't have anything. You know, right. It's like six and rocks. And so I think for both really capacity, like our goals, I think are really to make sure it's such a seamless experience to make sure that our teams are fully supported about what's going on. Yeah, it, you said a bunch of things in there that I want to double click on. And it's usually right around this time in the show that I just give up on my show notes and just start talking to people. <laughs> I literally, as you're talking, I just close that tab. I'm like, oh, we're, we're, we're just going to we're just going to have a conversation here. And you, you touched on a few things I thought were really interesting. One, I love the analogy of understanding the interconnected systems of the body. And in, in a lot of ways, medicine is support. It's a different type than when you get into more traditionally defined type support roles. But that understanding of the interconnectedness of things and the systematic or systemic rather way that the different functions of the body work together is the exact same way the different functions of a business work together. And you're exactly right about internal teams and sort of our work lives compared to our consumer life. The example I always like to use is this is just a miracle of UX and interconnected. Everything works together properly. I can do everything from this device and all of the apps, whether it's native to iOS or some, something made by someone else, they are meticulously designed to be good user experiences. But then I go to work and shout out to Salesforce. Like it's a, I can hate using that product, right? Like very few HRIS systems are pleasurable to use. Slack is constant noise. And I don't have the same sort of ease and ability to just manage everything that I have as in my sort of work life as I do home. And that problem is an M times N issue when you've got teams. So if you've got a big team of people that have to use shitty technology <laughs> to then do their job, there really becomes clear that there's a need to introduce something into the tech stack to help make that make that cohesive, make that possible. We say capacity, help teams do their best work. And that's exactly what you're hitting on with Relay too. So it's good to meet someone who sees the same forest through the trees and to talk through that stuff. In terms of the concept of automation and, and support and all that, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody near the beginning of an interview, which is when you hear the phrase support automation, what does that mean to you? Immediately, it's so mischaracterized. I think people away from us, so away from support operations leadership, I think they think it's unnecessary. Like you can figure out a workaround. You should be fine. You should be happy with what you have. And I think realistically, it's actually critical to our ecosystem. You know, I know you just mentioned talking about your phone. I feel like all of our favorite like applications, like it's so easy as a consumer to be like, I'm going to place an order. I'm right. going to go ahead and buy this thing. Why can't it be so easy for our users or our support teams to have that same level of engagement? I think it's like the way I like to think about it. If you're a company who does not embrace support automation, then you're not thinking about customer support engagement within minutes. You're totally okay with days and weeks. And if that is what your brand is all about, awesome. But the rest of us who are actually realizing, no, we need to be on that same level of intensity and speed. We know that we need to take every single advantage to make our life. Interesting. So with Relay and what you're doing there, you guys have started to see into a lot of business, right? You get a little peek behind the curtain and see how these things are, are working, how, they, how these things are ran. And obviously, 
there are operational and just like job and process design challenges that organizations face hmm. that that technology like relay can help with but there's also like just fundamental like job design that has to maybe get tweaked a little bit or just business process management to use it like an MBA term. What are some common things that you see go wrong most often when you have the sort of like symptoms of the disease like that you guys are aiming to cure? What's some, what's some common signposts? I think there's, a, there's like a, a good chunk of them. I think first on a leadership side, I think there's that sense of you don't realize that you're drowning. You don't realize that you have become comfortable in not knowing if your team's prepared for a partner launch got pushed up, a critical bug. You're actually okay accepting those negative CSATs. You're okay with dealing with customer and also user aggression and frustration about getting incorrect information. Uh, so I think we see a lot of issues with engagement morale, just people just being like, why am I not surprised that we didn't know about this or I didn't know about this? I think another something that we also see is just a lot of like, who do we give the blame to? So, oh, is it our vendor partner's fault because they didn't send this email about something else going on? Oh, is it the operations manager for our vendor partners for saying, hey, we sent it out, but we couldn't figure out who didn't see it or not. Like all those layers of excuses instead of saying, hey, what can we do to actually solve it? And I think another piece is symptomatically people just saying, hey, um, it's okay that I have like Slack as my primary tool where I'm pinning things and just repeating things and just like blasting things through email and saying that is sufficient as a communication strategy. When the reality is that's not a strategy. Like strategy actually requires you to, be able to track things, figure out the engagement, figure out how can you make things better as opposed to it's just a hobby. It's just a habit that you're just going through without really willing to challenge yourself and take risks to make things better. Yeah, it is an interesting conundrum that, I think managers especially face and that you as a manager, and I always, I, I literally had this conversation with someone on my team today. And that is my job is, is, is to like make you succeed. Everything I do needs to be done under the auspice of you achieving the goals that you've set, that we've set for you, that you've set for yourself in your career and life and to like advance. And anything I do to create inefficiencies or, or not address issues or not be able to respond to coachable moments or not let you experience success in your job. If it's a marketing person, maybe it's a successful campaign. If it's a support agent, it's a certain like deflection or not a deflection, a certain survey score or whatever it is. And it's really hard in a modern workforce to be able to have the bandwidth to have the deeper conversations with your direct reports because all the little just stuff that gets in the way. And this is like a perfect type of problem for computers and automation and software to solve. And I love the idea of using technology to augment and enhance human behaviors versus straight up trying to replace them. And it's refreshing to hear an, another founder and business leaders really understand that at a fundamental level to the point where you're launching a product of it. I'm curious if let's go back a little bit and I would love to get some of your perspective in you know, the early days of Lyft, early days of Instacart, as those things are really starting to scale and, and take off. Like you guys in both those businesses, you dealt with the sort of classic build the airplane in the air kind of experience. What are some of the big lessons you learned from then on 
enabling and making sure that the CS teams and the community teams and the customer facing teams were set up for success during that sort of growth? Oh, you know, number one, I feel like I deserve a pilot's license for free. I feel like I have done this way too many times where I'm like, I deserve something for going through all these crazy experiences. I, I think about, I'm going to actually talk about Instagram this one because I think it's yeah. a fun way to think about, I think for any type of on-demand product, especially when they're going to marketplace, I think what people never realize that everything is so manual in those early days. So for instance, when you want a car, you want you know, a grocery order, there's probably somebody who actually went there and had to click there and be like, cool, who's available? Okay, I'm going to give it to you. Oh, hey, I think this person's about to be finished. I'm going to go ahead and assign this to you. There's so much of the logistical components that kind of exist that a lot of times falls under support. And then I think the other piece is how much manual labor it takes when there's an issue that happens. So like we talked about weather, right? And, and so I, I mentioned, I think... When my first day at Instacart, coming as the head of customer happiness, uh, I was literally welcome to a, a crazy storm in Chicago. And I was told to contact all the customers who had orders to be like, hey, your orders can be four to five hours delayed. And so imagine just going like order after order, customer after customer, just being like, hey, I'm really sorry to call you, but here's what's going on. And having to go to that emotional roller coaster, being like, how can I help you? Can I reschedule it? Do you want a refund? Like, I'd love to give some credits and then trying to convince them of what we're trying to do. But I'm also just like, I'm not a weatherman. I, I couldn't predict right. this, uh, but it doesn't matter because my job's to help you. After going through so many rounds of that, it got to the point where I was like, we can't do this. This isn't scalable. We make it so easy for customers to place orders, we make it really easy for our shoppers to get those orders and do them really well. But what happens when things don't go? I think for a lot of these hyper situations, the reality is that with growth, typically comes quality issues. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a scary thing. It's a right. very natural thing as the market matures and we're trying to figure things out. But it doesn't mean that support isn't here to really take all of that. And so automation was so critical at Instacart. Also, but at, at Instacart, it was so important because we got to the point where, you know, if you think very in the beginning of the, the customer experience, we'd go ahead and prompt you with a, hey, give us a rating and then let us know if there's anything that we should know about. Right? That's a lot of manual work to figure out what's happening, seeing what we can do. Um, and so thinking about the fact that orders were very managed review, it was really managed to reach out to customers. So the two biggest things that were really big CS wins to, to really grow as the company was going through hyper growth. One was figuring out a way of how do we mass communicate with our customers if we have to cancel? Like, how do we make sure that they're aware as fast as possible so they can figure out their actions and know what's going on, but build that in with auto appeasements? How can I make sure that I'm giving you the right proper credits and free deliveries? What can I do to make sure that, that I care about you and it's going to be okay? And then texting customers, emailing customers, really blasting across all the channels and then making sure that they wanted our help. They want to talk to one of our agents for a phone call or email that they be first. Because I think on a customer experience, it's not great to be told that you can't get something because the store shut down. There's a snow and there's a flood. And these are all the things that we'd be dealing with on a national scale. But it was important for us to make sure that our customers and shoppers knew what was going on in real time as fast as possible. As opposed to someone just being like, what's happening to my order? I haven't heard from you guys in six hours and we didn't get to them because we're still calling other customers. And so that was a huge win because that allowed us to make sure that we're proactive about anything come our direction. And to be honest, things come in that direction all the time. Right. Uh, and, and then on the rating side, it was trying to be really proactive about not playing the, the whole dance of, hey, like I give you three stars. Hey, I'm really sorry to hear it was a three-star order. What happened? You want to learn more? Uh, my eggs were broken. 
really sorry about the eggs. Like, can I offer with the credit or redelivery? Like this entire dance of what do you need and how can I help? We changed it all by actually going through our structure and figuring out, okay, if we can empower customers to self-identify what went wrong, what can we do about it? And then really build this beautiful like backend logic spreadsheet of what can we give them? What can we do? How does it work? We actually decreased our volume by 60%. But we also made it really easy for our agents to be like, cool, I know your problem. I know what you need. I can give you instant satisfaction so I can help you with what you want. And it really made the experience much easier on both sides. And that enablement ties into, I was reading through some of the content relays published over, over the last year or so. And I liked this conversation you all had with the folks over at Talent Drop about the concept of like why people hate, I don't know. And at least in, in, in like within the work context, you never want to tell your boss yeah. you don't know. But in any sort of agent-customer relationship, and in, in some instances, a lot of the dynamics of an agent-customer relationship are very similar when it's employee and manager or peer-to-peer, depending on just the, the type of conversation at hand, like a lot of the characteristics are the same. When you have the information you need going into that interaction, it's smoother for the for those of you just on audio, I'm making scare quotes here. It's smoother <laughs> for the agent and it's also smoother for the customer because of the facilitation of that knowledge and of that information. You're exactly right. When you can, as you're processing the requests, proactively collecting what you need so that it's not a fresh interaction with the agent every single time, it's specifically the eggs are broken and it was the, the order arrived late or whatever. There's a playbook and, and, and responses and outcomes already teed up for that, right? My question to you is internally, when we're trying to make our teammates their best and we're trying to be the most productive, the most, everyone's hitting their KPIs, but everyone's feels fulfilled and not overworked or undervalued. And like the, the sort of great capitalist machine is humming, so to speak. Internally, what are some of the things that you've seen that teams can do? Like, what's like the like one or two or maybe three small handful of like first things you get you should look at to ensure that knowledge is shared properly and that teams have everything they need to be successful? For sure. I think the first piece is, do you have a source of truth? And I know we said that so many times and I think there's so much like, it's weird. I think there's a lot of SaaS product shaming where if you're not using Confluence or Notion, how dare you? But the reality is this, I think as long as you have one location where your team members and also other teams can go to just be like, hey, what's going on? Is it, I'm getting on OneDrive? Is it going to be a Google Drive? Is it just a Word doc that kind of has outlines for what happened today? It doesn't matter what it is. Everyone should have some sort of, this is where we go to. And we know that this should be true, right? Like we should know when was the last update. Uh, I think that has to exist. If we don't have that, then people get lost. Of course, people aren't going to know what you're going to do. I think the second piece, and I think this is really what really has been focusing on, is not everything that's being shared as an update requires to stop what they're doing. Right? And I think that tends to be the noise we talked about with Slack or email. Just because I'm relaying a message, or I'm sorry, just because I am sending a message out saying, hey, here are 10 things that I learned that everyone wants to know about, it doesn't mean that everyone should stop what they're doing, stop their phone calls, stop their emails, and read it through. The reality is that what, you know, what we've learned is that type of behavior causes people to miss things. They're going to forget things. They're just going to passively put an emoji and be like, oh, cool, thank you. But I think as someone as on the operations side, 
we need to make sure people are reading this and understanding it, right? We need to make sure that they are ready to apply it or more importantly, maybe they have questions or ideas or questions to really challenge us to make it better. And so what really what we learned is that you have to be a better communicator, meaning that if you put a message out there, be explicit, what do you want them to do? Are you just saying, hey, it's just good for you to know about? Is it more of saying, hey, question the crud out of it and make sure that there's nothing here that seems you know, off, you know, off loose. And then also putting priorities and deadlines, right? When do they need to take action by? When do they need to know this by? Is this something that should prioritize in the beginning of the day or later this week when they do all their catch-ups? I think the ability for us to give that instructions, I think is, is important because you're no longer telling people be reactive to more things that make you more reactive to the point you're overreactive. It's actually saying, hey, right. I want to give you like full control about how you can be productive with your day. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because if we think about this from a Slack culture perspective, and and I'm not a big Microsoft Teams guy, I assume it's similar there too. But shout out to our friends in Redmond. I, I use it for one company. I'll tell you, I went from Slack to Teams, and then I was it was the most worst cultural immersion experience ever. I was like, what is this? How am I stuck with these things? How's that possible? Yeah. I agree. Teams have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Microsoft for copying innovation and rolling it into O365. Anyway, that's a separate podcast. But let's take a Slack culture sort of example. Hmm. If the CEO goes into the general channel and says, hey, I want to make sure everyone has their year-end reviews completed by Close Business Friday. There's a gravity to like the CEO using the general channel that just mm -hmm. will spin people up in a way that is not maybe necessary. And it's very easy to like, if you imagine, if you think about someone in say a mid sort of mid-level, mid-level individual contributor or something, they might have their manager, the director, the VP, the CMO and the CEO all doing some version of barking in a public channel that something needs to be done. And yeah. the cumulative just context switching wasted time that occurs from that kind of thing is like too much. People are, you, you, you get to the point where like, even this, this even happens to me where you're not necessarily certain you got the message, right? Like maybe you subconsciously saw it in a stream of a bunch of other stuff and it just gets lost. And knowledge sharing, knowledge management as a discipline, this is like a classic digitization problem because mm -hmm. I always think about back in the day, the classic image of like the the person who's fresh out of college, it's their first job and they're like pushing the cart full of papers through the cube cubicles and like handing Jill and finance her TPS report and like Mark and sales, his TPS report. And they're just going, that's a much slower, much more human scale way to disseminate information built that way. Email even isn't built that way. So this is where, especially for internal teams, good knowledge management and like automation practices on the dissemination of that knowledge is incredibly valuable. Absolutely, especially because like we're so used to that in-person style that I think we all have had to realize in the last two years, we can't rely on that anymore. And we right. really shouldn't rely on that. I and mean, we really need to take risks and figure out how to make things better. I want to kind of add, there's a really fun study. I, I feel like people should always like read the study, see what's going on. Her name is Erica Dewan, and she did a study last year where she a humongous questionnaire with 2,000 plus folks. And she discovered that poor digital communication costs on average the office worker about four hours per week. And so that means, so that's part one. 
four hours per week per person. And about 70% have experienced some form of poor communication, at least monthly. Come on, monthly sounds pretty light, right? It's actually more often because people are always giving out updated information or thoughts right. what's going on. And then the last piece was that over, over one third of employees were dissatisfied with how their managers communicate. And I think that's the biggest part because you're right, the middle folks, we're the ones who are really trying to make sure that people know what's going on. But if our tactics aren't effective, I, I don't think it's because we're bad communicators. Actually, I just think that we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's why for us, like the ability for us to take marketing campaign strategies of figuring out who's opening and engaging with your content, right? Internally, it's so important because I think the strategy doesn't have to go for, you know, from if I blast enough times, people should see it. It should really be who's reading this and who isn't. And for the folks who aren't reading it, why? Am I not yeah. giving enough time? Are they just not seeing it? Is there something there that we can coach out and improve from? Because that's actually how you gain efficiency, right? That's how you should become a better communicator because you're figuring out who needs that extra help and really helping them get there. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like you, you just gum up the gears with things like poor communication, poor knowledge sharing, et cetera, et cetera. One thing I'm curious to ask you about, and we see this to a certain degree, you may see it to a different degree, but there's always a bit of hesitation when automation is brought into the sort of knowledge worker, some would say white collar, but the sort of knowledge worker workforce in that it starts, what started with the you know Henry Ford putting horseshoe makers out of business, and then robots in the Amazon warehouse maybe putting people out of work, and you know, autonomous driving trucks, truckers. RP, and now you have things like RPA and workflow automation tools, maybe being a threat to Larry in accounting, or, or sorry, Jill in accounting that we mentioned earlier. So there's sometimes a trepidation on when automation is brought into the workforce. What's your experience been in the hyper growth and scale that you've experienced in the past and some of the customers you're, you're dealing with Relay when you bring in tools to automate or ensure, read the dissemination of knowledge or whatever it is? What are some of the common fears that you've seen and like ways leaders can abate those fears when they bring these technologies in? It's funny. I, I always love hearing people's responses to that question, which is like, how do we deal with that fear of what's going on? And people are always like, yeah, like, people just get scared about losing jobs. And you're literally talking to someone who helped create ride-sharing and then suddenly went to self-driving ride-sharing. And so the biggest, and I actually had a conundrum, I was like, crud, how do I talk about that? Should yeah. I be like a horrible human being? Because I'm like, here I am trying to get drivers off the road. And I was actually, and I realized, I was like, no. Actually, I think that, you know, from my interactions, you know, working with drivers, working with the conscious workforce, there's a lot of great skill and challenges that they have the right to learn and see. I'd rather mm. take people out of the cars and actually help them support the vehicle. There's a lot of technical things that happen, you know, virtually on site. I want to bring them in because we need a workforce there to make sure we can actually have that feature. And that's the same I think about in terms of support oper- you know, operations or internally, which is it is totally okay to be risk adverse because I think, you know, I think when it comes to business, especially support, we're that last offense. We don't want to take risks. We don't want to take a chance because, you know, we have a recipe. We don't want to be innovative. But I don't think we have to think about reinventing the wheel. There are lots of great wheels out there, especially with automation. I think the biggest pieces here is how do you want to up-level your workforce? How do you want right. to up-level your team? Because spending resources to make people, you know, manually send out the past recent links, you can totally do that. 
But wouldn't it be better to figure out, hey, how do we help them? There's technical issues there. Maybe they're actually you know, having accessibility challenges. Why don't we solve that? Because that's going to be really fulfilling for both the agents, but also the customers who actually, that's their bigger challenge. Yeah, it's similar, but different to something I've said to uh, people that have worked for me over the years a bunch. Mm-hmm. We're just sitting down having one-on-ones or mid-year review cycle or whatever it is. And so, Justin, what can I do to move forward? And I say, one of the best things you could do is try to like optimize or automate yourself out of the job you're currently in, right? If I remember early on in my career managing, this is back when Yahoo had their own paid search program that eventually like they sold it to Microsoft. And now I don't even know if Yahoo, I, don't, I haven't been on Yahoo in forever. I don't even know what they do anymore. No, they're still around. <laughs> but I remember like, going through row by row in an Excel sheet and like calculating what the bid should be. And I was like, wait a minute, formula, drag it down. I'm like, I might've missed a few edges there, but I just did a thousand rows in, in 35 seconds. And it was just an eye-opening experience for me that, you know what, this isn't bad. This is actually good because now this is like a success that I can own and leverage and just from a per- personal growth perspective. And that exists in the one-to-one sort of role, but then also the one-to-many kind of um, yeah. situations too. And, and, and you're right. There's As long as you bring it back to the upskilling growth, like we're here to help you be better, you get past a lot of that stuff. Jason, this has been an incredible conversation and could talk to you all day about this, but eventually I do have to land the plane. So... <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to get to the, the place where I always end these interviews, when you think about the future of support automation, whether that's on the employee side or the customer side, what excites you the most? I think we're great about going for question and answer, mm. but what I'm really excited about the future, and I feel like we're, we're slowly getting there, is relationship building. If I reach out to you about something the same thing five times in a row, I want you to tell me, oh man, like this is the fifth time you're asking. I really want to make sure I can figure out what's happening. Let me make sure that you understand that I'm not going to give you the same answer that's in macro or like automatically put in there. It's that finessing of that white glove. I know who you are. We know what our interactions have been and we want to make sure it still feels great and that we're able to evolve from there. So I'm very excited for that future um, just because I feel like that's what we need to really make sure that we're getting that the fuzzy you know, goodness that we're so used to with support in scale. Love it. All right. We're going to end with the famous support automation show quick fire round. Let's famous, go for it. famous is a relative term. So first thing that comes to your head as I plow through these, what's the book you most often recommend to people? Okay. I know that you actually keep a list and you always add things on there. And I apologize. It's not going to be a standard response. Uh, but if you haven't read Shonda Rhimes, Year of Yes. Year of Yes. Okay. Year I, of yes. I've, I've not heard this one. The Year of Yes. And I think the biggest takeaway here is that she was called out for the fact that she would just say no to everything. And I think as support leaders, at least for myself, I realized that I was in a place where I kept saying yes to my cross-functional partners, that that equilibrium was created for me to say then no to everything else. No, I can't go out. No, I can't as a priority because I have these other things at work that I agreed to do. And for her story, it was really about how do you take those risks to be comfortable about saying yes to what's important to you, which includes saying yes to say no. This is a bad idea. We're not ready to execute this. What can we do better? What can we do better prepared? And it really helped me shape as a leader. How do I be comfortable with that? Love it. That's a new one. I have not yet the year of yes, how to dance it out, stand in the sun and be your own person by (laughs) by Shonda Rhimes. 
It is. And I will gladly Venmo you if you're just like, Jason, what did you make me read? But I will gladly pay you back for it. But I really do recommend it. No, I, I add every book that uh, people mention onto my Amazon Kindle list and, and eventually I get through them. <laughs> In terms of managing your time and your productivity and being in that you're in, in the business of, of helping people manage their, their time and productivity with your work at Relay. When you think about all the different productivity tips or hacks to use a tired term or practices that you've heard that you've folded into your day-to-day -day workflows, what's one that's stuck with you? Here is a, a completely free tip, which is make an agenda. I think every meeting that you go into and you're actually an active participant, meaning that you're engaging, you're battling it out, make sure that there is a public agenda that all participants see so they can go ahead and pre-prepare the questions, their thoughts, including your own action, your own agenda, and then make sure you have a public-facing action item list. Because not only are you putting yourself accountable where you're like, huh, I have everyone here witnessing what I'm going to do by when, but you also can hold others accountable too. And I feel yes. like with productivity, at least for myself, it's about removing those roadblocks. And so just making sure that I have accountability for myself and others and just keeping things moving so that nothing gets forgotten. That there's nothing to surprise. Right? Like everything is there and you have I this is one of my favorite topics, is like the art of the calendar invite. And a, a former guest on the show, Christy Falteruso, just posted on something on LinkedIn that I just chuckled ear to ear as I saw it. She was like, I delete every meeting that doesn't have an agenda in the meeting invite. And I was ah. like, yes, you should. And it got me thinking, I set up a, I got really like bored one evening, like my kids are in bed, wife fell asleep on the couch. And I was like, all right, instead of playing Call of Duty or whatever tonight, I'm going to, I'm going to mess around in Notion. And I built myself a little Zapier hook to basically whenever a meeting is added on my calendar, it creates a note in Notion with who's on it, the title, mm -hmm. the agenda, description, et cetera, et cetera. And then like when I go into a meeting, I can just click in my Notion workbook and boom, I have a like a meeting notes thing. And I have gotten to the point where I get like physically bummed out when I open a note to a meeting mm -hmm. and there's no agenda. There's no, here's what we want when we leave this meeting. And I'm just like, then we've got seven people on this. Like you realize if we like work this out to the hourly cost of this meeting, how much yep, money we're exactly. spending. And then like the, the sort of ultimate example of this is like, imagine you're in Cupertino and you want to talk to Tim Cook about something. Apple's a $3 trillion company, right? They do more rev they've done more revenue in the time it's taken me to ask this question than the <laughs> capacity is going to do this year. And if you want to get an hour of his time, that better be a awesome hour of his time, right? Yeah. Like the, the outcome of that hour of his time needs to literally be like multi millions of dollars to be yeah. of value. And not all of us book meetings with Tim Cook and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, but like we book meetings with each other and Tim Cook's just another person like you and I, and mm -hmm. he's got a day that he has to manage just like you. And I'm so glad you brought this up because especially in the forced to remote culture that we've all gone through, I don't, I think remote cult, like you're, we're not getting that toothpaste back in the tube. Distributed work is here to stay. I'm not saying that's not the case, but we were all forced into it and haven't really thought yep. through things. And I think one of the knee-jerk reactions to this is just, oh, book a meeting. And you're just adding, so easy to add people to meetings and not really think through the value of the meeting. This is supposed to be you asking, me asking you <laughs> 
questions and getting quick answers, and I turned it into a soapbox. But this is a but, but, huge topic. But, but really, really important, because I think this is so important, because I think on the support operations side, I think we're so used to being forced to be reactive. And something that I learned within my background, I just know better. Yes. I just, you can't tell me we're going to go into new market launch and we're going to wing it. No, you're going to tell me your staffing capacity. You're going to tell me what's your schedule. You're going to tell me all these questions, because at the end of the day, in order for me to prepare my team for everything, I expect everything. And if you tell me that you can't, then why are you wasting my Because for me to do my magic, I need you to do your magic, which means come prepared. Exactly, exactly. If you could recommend one website, blog, Slack community, LinkedIn group, Facebook group, whatever it is, for people who are in this sort of space, what would it be? I think for all support, it feels so isolating sometimes. We can't talk about our, our challenges because we're bound by NDA. <laughs> but I think there are a lot of things that we face. And I think we're not, it's, it's not easy for us to be vulnerable because again, we're that last offense, we're supposed to be that last person to really hold everything. But I've, what I've learned is hearing like stories about other support leaders. There's actually a podcast series by Charlotte Ward. Uh, it's called Customer Support Leaders. Mm-hmm. And she, it's like 200 plus folks that she's interviewed. And very casual conversations. To kind of I got go some catching up to do. Yeah, Ooh, it's a lot. It's a long series. It's a great series. Um, but I really recommend it because I think at the end of the day, you know, it's hard for us to compare ourselves to these grand leaders within our space because who knows if we're going to get there or not. Sometimes you can't relate to them. But when you hear 10, 20, 50 voices all having similar stories, challenges, backgrounds, it feels great to know that you're not by yourself. And then more importantly, figuring out like what's their way of, kind of, of seeing something different and using that as a source of inspiration. Yeah. What, what was the name of that podcast again? It's called Customer Support Leaders, and it's being it's facilitated by Charlotte Ward. Yeah. Pretty sure that's what you said, but I want to double check. Yeah, that's a, that is a good one. Okay. Last question. And you can take this any way you want. It could be mm. business, life, support, entrepreneurship. Just you answer this however you want. If you could take one person out for either coffee or a cocktail, depending on the time of day, who would it be? <laughs> Why? Um, oh man, actually, I know I reflected on this for a while because I know this is like one of the standard questions that come up. And I think the, the, the best person that comes to mind is actually the great and late Tony Shea from Zappos. Hmm. You know, I think there's so many levels here. I think representation matters. I think seeing another Asian American founder, I think for me, it's not that common. It's actually, it's pretty rare, especially those who are successful who are allowed to stay as CEOs. I think he was actually the first person that my friends actually recommended when I first started doing support for Lyft. It was trying to understand this new philosophy of how do you deliver happiness and what does it mean? And I bought shoes at Ross. Like I didn't have like really a lot of money to buy these things. So I was like, what is that? I had no idea what was going on. But reading through a story and philosophy, talking about how do we really build engagement? How do you support your teams? How do you make customer service an actual pillar? And I actually had an opportunity to go to Zappos a few years ago. I was just, I thought they were just drinking the Kool-Aid. I was like, there's no way this is real. And then really going to the conversations, it's totally real. It's ridiculous. Like their average like tenure for support agents is five years. Like that, I don't know. And it was really weird because I was really like pushing to be like, can you give me a number? It's five years plus. And so for me, when I hear that, when I see that and see what's going on, it's remarkable because I think there's not enough leaders who really value customer support down to that core. And I think he really set that tone for that. And so now with all those there, you know, I would love to understand how did he think about it? Why was he so persistent about it? And what made him want to continue branching away from Zappos to developing downtown Las Vegas? He really wanted to transform these communities and spaces. And so if anything, all I would want to ask is, 
what else would you have? I think we lost some, unfortunately, in such a tragic young way. And so just figuring out what would you want to accomplish when you're 50 or 70 or Betty White 99, right? What would you yeah. have done just so because it's just learned what you're hoping to do? Yeah. And it's he's a fascinating one because I think about this a lot. People, and this has come up on the show a bunch, actually. People mention Amazon as like this like paragon of like, customer service and support at scale, which is true. That came from Zappos, right? Like it's, there's a part of me that feels when Amazon bought Zappos, that's what they wanted. Jeff Bezos could have sold shoes, but the culture operations, the the way Tony thought through all those problems, like it's clear that has worked its way into the larger Amazon ecosystem in a lot of ways. And that's a classic example of just a blue flame thinker who viewed the world differently and created something really cool and to to you know that they were they were famously the after your two week onboarding or whatever you're offered money to either stay or go or whatever and it that's the kind of thing where you first hear that and you're like huh and then 30 minutes later you're doing something else and it like clicks in your brain what kind of buy-in and culture that actually created by 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 implementing something like that and yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. He hasn't been brought up on this show yet, and I'm glad you did because that's definitely a hole that the world is still trying to fill. And you're right, representation does matter, and he it does matter, and he is a, a great example of that as well. Yep. And I, uh, one last thing, which is also yeah. he was okay to take risks in terms of how do we actually spend more within the customer engagement side of things? How do mm. we take that risk and actually saying, hey, do you want to be here? Like these are all the right risks that we want to see in leaders, especially with automation. Because again, it takes, it takes that vulnerability saying, hey, I recognize that we can do better and I want to try this. And right. I think that is so critical and actually we can see great things from it as long as you're open to it. Love it. So Jason, you and this has been a phenomenal conversation. I can't thank you enough for your time. If people want to know more about you, more about Relay, where can they go to find you in Relay? Yeah, so you can reach out to us at www.teamrelay.co. We don't have an M yet, but go ahead and check out our product there. Otherwise, feel free to look for me on LinkedIn. Always happy to chat. And I think the biggest part is also, as I mentioned, with support operations can feel really lonely or isolating. If there's any questions, if people want feedback, they want to talk about strategy, please reach out to me. Always happy to have a conversation and help. Love it, Jason. Thank you so much for your time. And thanks for coming on the Support Automation Show. Of course. Thank you so much, Justin. Appreciate it. The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find the show by searching for Support Automation in your favorite podcast app. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening.